0: And up until this point, we mentioned how, man, we're getting through the book of Numbers. It's already now the second generation that's, 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 uh, that's living here in the wilderness. They're about to enter the promised land. As we go into it, know that they're at, at the very border of the promised land. So they are like weeks, if not days, within entering the promised land. Man, after 40 years of just wandering aimlessly because of their unbelief, uh, man, we're told that, that a whole generation had to die because of their unbelief. And because of their unbelief, the Lord had to pretty much wait until they, 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 the, all that first generation died. One of the accusations that they brought against the Lord is that they told God, uh, Lord, you brought us out into the wilderness so that our children could be victims of the wilderness and die out here. And then God's response to them was, because you said that I brought you out here to, for your children to be, to be victims, you're going to die off and your children are the ones who are going to see the promised land because you said that they are going to be victims in this land that I brought you. And so we see that a whole generation had to die off. And we see that, man, it, the, we see that the baton is already being passed on to the second generation, so to speak. Uh, a few chapters ago, we read how, how Miriam, the, the, the sister of Moses, passed away. And then last week, we read about how uh, Aaron, the priest, Moses' brother, passed away. and He passed the baton now to his son, Eleazar. And so Eleazar is functioning as, as high priest uh, there in the nation of Israel. And then we're going to see pretty soon now Moses is going to die off. Again, that whole first generation, including Moses and Aaron, are not going to enter into that promised land again because of their unbelief. And it's because of their unbelief, that, man, that, that God had to do new work. But we see that, that 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 the second generation was not exempt from complaining either, and that the second generation was not exempt from uh, from from unbelief as well. Man, last week we mentioned how about seventeen thousand of them died. This being already the second generation, seeing how God dealt with their with their fathers, with their mothers, with that first generation, uh, we're told that man they were introduced now into this uh, uh, idolatry, into Baal worship for the very first time, and we're told that they committed sin. With the with the Moabites and they the the Moabites invited the nation of Israel to go into into their land and to and to worship their gods and their altars and to and and to pretty much partake in this Baal worship which would have been a man temple uh, uh, prostitution. You know, that's exactly what it was. Right? We're told that as the nation of Israel was, was camped out right there in the, in the desert, that the king of Moab, uh, uh, a man by the name of Balak, we're told that he saw them, he became fearful, and so he hired a prophet by the name of Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. And he said, look, if, if you don't curse them for me, then they're going to devour me up just like they did all these other kings. We're told that Balaam was unsuccessful. Three times he went out to try to curse the people, but God told him, no, you're not going to curse the people because these people are my people and they are a blessed people. Right, one of the things that God said about the nation of Israel is he, he said, I see no iniquity in Jacob. Man, I see no iniquity in Jacob. And we see, man, this is how God sees his people. Even though they've been messing up for 40 years, God said this, I see no iniquity in Jacob. And, and take rest in this knowing that, man, no matter how bad we may mess up. And we've given our lives to the Lord, man. God doesn't see us for our mistakes. He doesn't see us for our failures. He doesn't see us for our shortcomings. But God will save you. I see no iniquity in fill in the blank with your name. Mm-hmm. Right? Because now God sees us with the righteousness of Christ. And, and, and as long as we're in this world, we're going to continue to fail. As long as we're in this world, we're going to continue to come short of, man, of perfection. Right? So man, know this, that God doesn't see us for our failures or our mistakes or our shortcomings. But He sees us for the righteousness of Christ. That's beautiful that when we are face-to-face with the Lord, because one day we are going to be, the Bible says that every man is destined once to die, and after that, the judgment. Know this, that you don't have to face the Lord on your own merit. Lord, I did this for you. I did that for you. Hey, that's going to mean nothing. But we're going to be face-to-face with the Lord, and you don't even have to say anything. God, Jesus is going to say, oh, that's one of mine. Right, man? He's going to see this now for the righteousness of the Son, Jesus Christ, which His righteousness is perfect. Man, perfection. Nothing more, nothing less. Right? Perfection. And so... And Now, as we're entering now, chapter 27, again, Mo- Moses is close to dying now. And so we see that Moses, as he's about to, man, uh, he knows that his time is short. He knows that, that, that his day is coming to an end also. We see, man, what was Moses most concerned about? Right, and this, we see the heart of Moses, that he had a heart of a shepherd. Because it says this beginning there in verse 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mountain, Abarim, and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it you shall you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered for in the wilderness of Zin during the strife of the congregation you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes and these are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin and so man God is preparing Moses He's telling him look you're going to have to you're not going to be able to enter into the promised land you could see it But as soon as you see it, just know this, that your time is up, right? And you're going to pass away. Now, somebody could read this and think, man, God is so cruel, right? Because why couldn't Moses enter into the promised land? Well, man, as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, I'm so comforted by the fact that, man, that Moses did make into the promised land. Mm -hmm. Because we're told that in the Gospel of Luke, remember that Jesus took uh, Peter, James, and John, that he took them up unto the mount and they saw the Lord Jesus uh, glorified. And who do they see with them? Moses and Elijah. And where were they at, man, in Jerusalem? Right, and in, in the promised land, so eventually they did make it in. Moses never went in physically, but noticed that he was resting with the Lord. That he man, he had something even more glorious, right? Mm-hmm. That he was at the right and the left, you know, of, of Jesus while he was glorified. Mm-hmm. And so, God is not a cruel God, right? But because again, God is saying, uh, Man, God's word is true, and he told them, Look, because you didn't follow me and because you didn't obey, look, you're not going to enter into the promised land with them, right? And so, we see uh, that, that God tells Moses there in verse 15, says, Then Moses. Spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And so we see that man, that Moses is asking God to set a man, to set a leader over the nation. And I love this about Moses because, man, that's where his heart is at. Notice that Moses isn't complaining against the Lord. But Lord, man, come on. I've been with him this whole time. I want to enter into the promised land. Lord, that's so messed up. Lord, this. He's not complaining. Right? But instead, where is his heart at? Man, he's looking out for the people. Yeah, he's been with them for 40 years. He's been their shepherd for 40 years. The Lord, of course, course first. But but man, Moses is a man whom God has used to lead these people. And obviously, we see that Moses had a gentle, loving care for these people. So much so that he was concerned about what was going to happen to him when he was gone. Right? And so he pleads with the Lord. He says, Lord, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in. says that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Notice that. Man, that's his heart. That's the heart of Moses. right? And we see that it's similar to the heart of Jesus. right? Because we're told that Jesus, when he looked out, he saw the multitude scattered like sheep having no shepherd. right, Man, that's the heart of the shepherd. And so... He asked three things of the Lord. He, and, and asking God for a man to lead the nation of Israel, he, he put three requirements. He says, Lord, set a man over them, notice, uh, who may go out before them and go in before them. right? Who may go out before them and go in before them. Meaning, meaning all right, Lord, let it be a man who is sensitive to your voice. Lord, let it be a man who is going to intercede on their behalf. When he says that he, that, that he may go out before them and go in before them, that's go in and out to the tabernacle. Right, being a, a man that's going to lead them spiritually in worship. Right, this is who Moses has been this whole time for 40 years. Man, it's Moses who whom has been speaking uh, to God on their behalf, and through whom the people are speaking to God. You know, on their behalf, they're using Moses as his as his uh, intermediary. Right, and so man, Moses', uh, Moses concerns is, Lord, uh, when I'm gone, I don't want to I don't want to leave them without uh, them having some way of communication with you. So he's saying, look. Raise up a man who's going to lead them in, who's going to go in before them and go out before them, meaning man to the tabernacle, who's going to intercede on their behalf, who's going to be concerned about their spiritual well-being. And I love this heart of Moses, right? And the second requirement, he says, and also who may lead them out and bring them in. So who may go out before them and go in before them, spiritual worship, but also who may lead them out and bring them in. And when he's talking, when he says lead them out and bring them in, that's a uh, man being their, 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 their leader in battle. Right, that's leading them out in battle, but also bringing them in back safely from the battle. Right? Because again, that's who Moses has been for them this whole time. Right? He's been a spiritual leader. He's been a, a, a physical leader also. So he says, Lord, let, let this be a victorious, a bold man who's not scared to lead them out into battle. But also who's going to be concerned about their well-being and, and make sure that he wants to bring them back safely. Right? In one piece. So, Lord, let it be a man who's concerned for their spiritual well-being as well as their physical well-being. Who's going to lead them out courageously. And then the third thing he says, who may, sorry, I read that. Who may lead them out and bring them in. It says that the congregation of the Lord may not be like a sheep, without calf, no shepherd. And so the third thing, man, is that he would be a shepherd over Right, that he would be concerned for them, you know, like a, like a loving shepherd is for his sheep, for his flock. Right, that he would have the heart of a shepherd. Lord, let it be a man who's courageous, who could lead them in and out of battle. Lord, let it be a man who seeks your heart, who could uh, go into and intercede before their uh, on their behalf. But also, Lord, let it, let him have the heart of a shepherd, right? And 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 let it be a man, you know, who looks at them with the heart of a shepherd, like he looks at his after his own flock, knowing that he is responsible for them. And so, man, you may think, well, where's God going to find a man like this? And verse 18 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and set him before Eleazar the priest. Remember, because Aaron's gone now, so now is the priest. And before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Elijah the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. It says, at his word they shall go out and as her, at his word they shall come in. And he and all the children of Israel with him and all the congregation. And so verse 22 says, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Elijah the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him. Just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So, man, as Moses is so concerned, Lord, set up a man over them. Lord, let him have these three requirements. Let him love the people, right? Let him uh, uh, want to intercede on their behalf. Let him be a courageous man who's going to lead them into battle, right? And and Moses is asking God for this type of man. And and notice that that God says, right, take Joshua with you, right, the son of Nun. Man, Joshua was 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 one of those who uh, came out of the, of the of the of captivity there from Egypt. He's been he's been with Moses this whole time. And we see that man that that Joshua was a man who loved the Lord, right? We're told that that uh, whenever Moses would go in and to the tabernacle and speak with Lord with the Lord, when he would leave, we're told that Joshua would stay behind in the presence of God, right? And so this whole time, Joshua has been serving the Lord faithfully, right? Um, unannounced to him that man he was going to be the next leader of the nation of israel right he didn't know this there's nothing in the scriptures that indicate that he was told beforehand that he was going to take over there's nothing in the scriptures to indicate that he knew that he was prepared for this position in fact there's everything all to the contrary right in the book of deuteronomy and then the book of joshua when joshua was bringing them in god had to tell him hey joshua be a good be of good courage be of good courage, right? He says, do not fear. He says, man, but be of good courage, right? Because Joshua was fearful, right? This was new to him, man. Now he's leading a whole nation into the promised land, right? So there's no, there's nowhere in scripture to indicate that, can, that that Joshua knew that this was gonna be his next position or his his title or his role, yeah? like he was gonna be the next leader of the nation of Israel, right? But as he was just serving God faithfully, seeking the face of the Lord on his own behalf, right? Just desiring to inquire the Lord for his own, Man, God was doing something in his life. God was preparing him. Right, we're told that Joshua was a zealous man. Right? He was zealous for the presence of God. He was zealous for uh, even uh, uh, Moses. Right? We're told that when there was a couple of men in the camp that began to prophesy, that Joshua said, Moses, uh, 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 Moses tell him not to do that. Because right? you're the only one who, who intercedes uh, uh, on our behalf to the Lord. And Moses said, hey, I, I, I wish that all the people you know, were full of the Holy Spirit and could intercede and could prophesy. Right, but we see that Joshua had this zealousness for the ministry, had the zealousness for uh, the position, he had the zealousness for just the presence, the pure presence of God among their midst, right? And with this whole time, man, God was raising him up, doing something in his heart. And I say that to say this because, man, as we serve the Lord faithfully, man, you know, not seeking a title, not seeking a position, not seeking, you know, offices, not seeking, you know, anything else, any reputation, man, as we just serve the Lord faithfully. Know this, I, man, that God is causing all things to work on, you know, for the good, right, to those who love God. You may think, man, Lord, what's the purpose of this trial? What's the purpose of this circumstance? What's the purpose of this situation? What's the purpose of, man, this thing you fill in the blank? You know, this, man, that God uses those things in our life to build us up, to prepare us into the next season that we're about to enter, right? And everything that Joshua experienced there in the wilderness, right? Even when when he was one of the 12 who who were sent out along with Caleb, we're told that they were sent out to spy out the land, right? And it was Joshua and Caleb who brought the good report, right? The, the rest of the ten spies said, No, nah, man, no way. There's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their midst. They're going to chew us up. But what did Joshua and Caleb say? Man, you know what? God has given us the land. He's given them over to us. They're going to be our bread, mm-hmm. right? And so we see that, man, like God was putting all these different circumstances in front of Joshua to prepare him for the specific moment, that he was to be uh, now inaugurated or ordained as the leader of the nation of Israel. And so as, as God commands Moses, he says, all right, man, put your hand on him before all the people, let all the people know, right, that Joshua is a man. You know, he's, gonna, he's the one who's going to take over. He's the one who you, whom you're handing the reins over to, right? Let it be confirmed by elders of the priest. He says, let it be a, a, a witness to all the people uh, there, there in the camp. And so we're told again that Moses laid his hands on him. He ordained him or he inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And then verse 28, as we get into verse 28, we're not going to go through all of it, but we're just going to um, uh, pick a, a couple of things. And so as we go into verse twenty again, because this is already of the second generation and because they're this close to entering the promised land, we see that God is going to prepare them And uh, he's going to repeat to them uh, the things that that he repeated to their fathers. That is all the things that have to do with the offerings, the daily offerings, the weekly offerings, the monthly offerings, the yearly offerings. Right. Uh, As as he tells them about all those uh, feast days that they were also to keep. And so as they're as they're going in, man, God wants to prepare them. Right? He wants to give them instruction so, they, so that they know how to seek the Lord as they go into the promised land. right? And, and, and because they're the second generation man, they're to pass that on to their children. There's to be a statue among them uh, for all their generations. And so it says there in, verse 20, in chapter 20, he says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel and say to them, Say, my offering, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me. You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. Notice that. My offering says, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. It says, and you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish, uh, day by day as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening and one tenth of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with one fourth of a hind of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one fourth of a hind for each lamb in a holy place. You shall pour out the drink to your to your Lord to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as a morning grain offering and its drink offering you shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then from, and verse, from verses 9 to 10, we have what's known as the Sabbath offerings, which were told that on the Sabbath day, again, they weren't to do any work, right? But they were to bring uh, an offering to the Lord on the Sabbath day, right? They had these monthly offerings now. They're from verses 11 to 15. And then now we, we have these feast days which are, uh, one of them is the Passover that's mentioned, uh, and then the other one is the Feast of Weeks, also known as, as the Feast of Pentecost, which is 50 days after uh, the Passover, right? And so, when we see that, uh, again, as we finish the last chapter and as we're entering now to chapter 28, man, what was Moses concerned about? Lord, uh, a, per- a man who's going to lead the people, right, into the wilderness, Lord, uh, into the-, the promised land. Lord, a man who's going to lead the people into worship. Lord, a man who's going to lead the who's going to have this careful uh, watch over the people. But what was God concerned about right? God wasn't concerned about a man Because ultimately It was the Lord Who was to be their God It was the Lord Who was to be their king It was the Lord Who was to be their defender Their everything Man But uh, You may think Oh well this offerings It's kind of random here in the, in, the, in the book of Numbers Right But we see the man As Moses was concerned More about the man Right Who was going to lead them Man, God was concerned about this man That they would come to me That the people would come to me He says, Hey make sure they don't Stop coming to me mm-hmm. So he reminds them Of the different offerings and as they were to make these these daily offerings, man, what it was it was communion with the Lord, right? It wasn't this tedious thing that was made to be. Uh, as we read through the Gospels, right, the people were burdened were burdened because they had to bring these offerings, and the religious leaders were making it hard on them to come to the Lord, right? And that was their sin that they were they were making it now a burden to come and worship God. They were making it a burden to come and to sacrifice at the temple because they were getting ripped off. They knew that, man, as they carried their, 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 their offering, their sacrifice, you know, this, all these miles, and they would get to the temple, that the priests her up, they were going to rip them off and say, hey, man, it's unacceptable, but here, look, buy one of ours,
1: mm-hmm. right,
0: for a jacked up price. And that was their sin. Their, their sin was that they were making it hard for the people to come and to worship God. Mm-hmm. It became a burden, man, to come and worship the Lord. And we said, man, what God was concerned about is that the people would come to Him, right? And through these offerings that were to be daily offerings, Sabbath offerings, monthly offerings yearly offerings again God was, was emphasizing the communion that the people were to have with them because every single time they were coming to, they were bringing an offering to the Lord man it was worship unto God right and that's what God was concerned about and so going on now in chapter 29 we have now with mention as the offerings at the feast of trumpets right and it says and in the seventh month on the first day of the month you shall have a holy convocation you shall do no customary work for you it says it is a day of blowing the trumpets you shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the lord one young bull one ram and seven lambs in their first year without blemish the grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil three tenths of an ephah for for the bull two two tenths for the ram and one tenth for each of the seven lambs also one kid of the goats as a sin offering to make atonement for you And besides the burnt offerings with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings according to their ordinance as a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. And then they were also to bring uh, offerings on the day of atonement. And skipping down to verse 12. Now offerings at the Feast of Tabernacles. It says on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work and you shall keep a feast of the Lord seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in the first year. They shall be without blemish. Their grain offerings shall be of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each one of the two rams, and one-tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offerings, its grain offering and its drink offering. And notice this. On the second day, they were to present 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs uh, of the first year. Their grain offering also, their drink offering to the bulls. It goes on to say that on the third day, they were to present 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs. On the fourth day, they were to present two rams, 2, uh, 14 lambs and rams, lambs, lambs yams, mm-hmm. tomatoes, potatoes. Mm-hmm. On the fifth day, present nine bulls, uh, two rams and 14 lambs. Man, it was, and as we go through all these things, I, I don't want to make it repetitive, but man, just imagine, the bloody scene that would be taking place as every single day they were to bring these animals, right? They would, didn't just throw them into the fire and let them burn up, but, they, but we're told that the priest, that he would, uh, he would drain them, he would drain them of their blood, right? So man, the priest, at the end of the day, will be covered in blood, covered in blood as they bring these different offerings man, to, uh, to the Lord. And then notice this on verse 35, it says, on the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram and, op- and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. Also one go as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, it's the grain offering and its drink offering. And he says, These you shall present to the to the Lord at your appointed feast, besides your vowed offerings and your free will offerings. And it says, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, as your drink offerings and your peace offerings. And so Moses told the children of Israel everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And as and so as we're going through again these these uh, different offerings that would take place uh, there at the Feast of Tabernacles. Man, just imagine the scene that that, 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 that would be taking place again. Uh, thousands of Jews were gathered there in Jerusalem, right, in the New Testament, and, and they were to, man, to bring all these animals. So every single day, there was just a bloody mess, right? For seven days, man, they would have been exhausted, man. After seven days that they're bringing these animals, right, they're seeing just, uh, Lord, uh, they're seeing the, the, these, these animals just uh, uh, drained of their blood, Right, they're they're performing you know, you know worship unto the Lord. They're bringing these animals, but as as well drink offerings. And so man, at the end of the week, they would just be exhausted. And I bring this up because uh, something very special happened on that uh, during that week there in the in the ministry of Jesus. And it says this in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter seven. It says this uh, in chapter seven. It says. Beginning in verse 10. I'm going to go ahead and, and read it for you. It says, But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews saw him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. And some said, Man, he's no good. Or he's good. Or others said, he, No, he's, uh, he, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. And it goes on to say, uh, this, on verse 37 of chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast. Man, that's the Feast of Tabernacles. Right, Beginning in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, uh, the scene is set for us, and it's the week of the Feast of Tabernacles. So for seven days, what we just read in the book of Numbers, man, this was taking place there in Jerusalem. For seven days, man, thousands, if not millions, of Jews were there in the city of Jerusalem, worshiping the Lord. Right? They were seeing these animals drained of their blood. They were seeing these animals offered unto the Lord. They were seeing different uh, drink offerings brought to the Lord. As we just read in the book of Numbers, so that last day was the, notice that John says it was the great day of the feast. Why is it great? Because it's the last day, the final day where they're going to worship the Lord through these different offerings. Right? And as they were to bring their animals, but also a drink offering. Uh, the book of Numbers doesn't tell us in, in detail but other books such as the Talmud or other Jewish writings us that, man, it wasn't just, you know, hey, a gallon of water or a couple bottle, water bottles that they would bring in and, and offer to the Lord. No, but it was gallons upon gallons upon gallons of water that they would offer to the Lord as well as wine. And John tells us this in John chapter 7. It says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out, saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So man, Jesus makes it a point to stand up at the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. As all these, as everyone has just witnessed for six days. Man, these different offerings brought to the Lord. Probably thinking, man, some were probably worshiping God. Others were thinking, what's the purpose of this? Others maybe as they were pouring out the water are thinking, man, I'm thirsty. Right? As they were were pouring out the drink offering and Jesus stands out and I I could just imagine it was probably dead silent at that moment. Right? As the priests were were, were giving the drink offering and Jesus stands up at that that very moment, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles saying, if anyone thirsts, as the people are watching the drink offerings being poured out, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. Right? And John tells us, he gives us his own commentary. He says that, Jesus spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And, and, and I say it to say this, man, that as we go through the whole Testament, even all the different offerings, and we see that Jesus made it a point, and we can see through every single one of these, these offerings, and every single one of these, these days, man, they all point back to Christ, or they all have some type of fulfillment in Christ, man. All the Old Testament, all the Bible, it's all about Jesus, man. It all points back to Jesus, right? Amazing. And so it goes on to say, there in chapter 30, uh, the law concerning vows. And it says, Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth, He says, or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house, in her youth meaning she's not married yet, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she bound herself and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement uh, with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. And so as we go through these different laws concerning vows, man, uh, God is speaking to Moses. He says, look, he says, if anybody in the congregation and the children of Israel, if any man makes a vow to the Lord saying, oh, Lord, I mean, we know about vows. We, we make, or at least uh, I make vows to the Lord all the time. Oh, Lord, if you, Lord, if you just bless the service today or Lord, if you do this or that, I promise I'll boom, boom, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Lord, if you save my brother, Lord, if you save my son, Lord, if you save my family, God, I'm going to serve you, right? These different vows that we make to the Lord, sometimes uh, haphazardly, sometimes, you know, we mean it. Lord, if you just give me this job, Lord, I promise you I'm going to share the gospel. I work with my coworkers, Lord. I'm going to start a Bible study during lunch, Lord. I'm going to be the best worker. I'm going to glorify you. Lord, if you just give me this job, these different vows that we make to the Lord, right? Sometimes, man, no, we don't we don't uh, uh, fulfill our ends, all right? Um, there in the New Testament, in the book of James, you know, uh, James says, hey, man, don't be making vows to the Lord. Don't say, oh, God, if you give me this, then I'll do that. Or, Lord, if you do that, then I'll do this. He says, man, just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Right? Be a man. Be a woman of your word. You know, man, your word is bond. Right? That's so um, so appreciated nowadays. Right? Because, man, people's words don't mean anything now. Oh, hey, man, I'll go help you out this day. And boom, right, they're gone. Or they're, they just flake out or whatever. Right, but and so James will say, man, don't make promises that you don't know you're gonna be able to keep. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we make promises with good intentions, or we make commitments with good intentions, and things come our way that we don't expect or that we don't see coming, and we have to cancel. Now we look like the jerks because oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it anymore. Right? Hey, James says, just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Right? Don't swear on anything. Don't make any vows to the Lord. Just if you say yeah, then cool, be there. If you say no, then don't go. That's it right and so in these different vows and these laws concerning your vows um, something interesting here uh, again he says if a man makes a vow he's held to his vow no matter what but he says if a woman makes a vow she's still young she's not married and she lives under her father's house the father has the authority because he's the head of the household and because she's not married yet uh, the father has the authority to man if he hears his daughter making a vow to the Lord uh, and maybe she can't keep it the father has the authority to, to 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 nullify the vow and say, you know, you don't have to keep your vow because he was the head of the household, right? And it, knows it, it says this in verse six, but if indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vow or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears it, then her vow shall stand and her agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took, and take and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. And so he says, man, if, if a young girl who's unmarried lives lives still in her parents' house, uh, right, has no husband, if she makes a vow, uh, and if the dad hears it, man, and he could choose to her, you know, I'm gonna let my daughter keep her vow with the Lord. Mm-hmm. But if he sees it for whatever reason, you know, uh, 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 irrational or maybe for whatever reason, he could say, you know what, um, you don't have to. I release it from this vow. Right? And then he says that if she, this same girl, right, if she's young, she makes a vow to the Lord and she marries a man, and the husband hears of her vow, we're told that he also, again, has the ability to say, hey, man, well, uh, keep your vow to the Lord or, you know, hey, um, don't keep it. Right? Mm-hmm. And this isn't because, man, because a woman is worth less or anything like that, but it's because, man, there's order in the house. And that's the whole point of this chapter, man. There's order in the house, right? And there's a head of the household, and the head of the household has the authority. If, it was, if she wasn't married, then the, the head of the household is the father. If she's married, then the head of the household is not her husband. Right? We have a similar uh, kind of guideline or structure there in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're told that that, that uh, God the Father is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of his wife. Right? His wife. Right? Not women, but his wife. Right? Although I do believe that men should lead in all things. But man, when it comes to the household, man, the man is the head of the wife, meaning all right man doesn't mean that you know you get to come home you know uh uh, sit down on the on the the recliner and have everyone serve you know but it means that now you have the responsibility to serve your wife to serve your family right to lead them in worship to lead them in prayer to lead them into into the things of God right you have that responsibility because you're the spiritual head of the household right and so it wasn't anything uh uh to be uh taken lightly and so it goes on to say there in verse 9, Also any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. Right? If she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day here, then, then whatever proceeds from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement Binding her, it shall not stand. her husband has made the void, and the Lord will release her. every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response whatever to her from that day uh, from day to day, then he confirms all her vows and all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response says but if he does he does make them void after he has heard them, and he shall bear her guilt says these are the statutes which the Lord commanded. Moses, between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth, in her father's house. Man, I'm so glad that we don't live by Old Testament laws anymore because, man, this is way too many to keep, right? I'm glad that, man, the New Testament puts it simple for us. Hey, let your yes be no, yes, and let your no be no, right? That's something that Jesus had to, had, to, uh, 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 um, had to correct the religious rulers of the day also because, man, they were trying to find ways to get around the law, right? They didn't want to serve God through the law, so they found little loopholes, Oh I swear, well I didn't swear by the temple, but I swore by the gold of the temple. Right? Or I didn't swear by heaven, but I swore by the angels. Right. And they would find all these little loopholes to, to get around God's law. Right? Because uh, they didn't they couldn't keep it. Right. And that was the whole point instead of saying, Man, Lord, help me, because man, I broke your law. Like that was the whole point and they missed the point so Jesus corrects him and he says look man he says you think you're you're, you're so smart you think you're so clever because you're making all these vows and you're swearing by the goals of the temple and you're getting around the law he says man he says you've committed sin in your heart right not because you broke the law but because man you you, you refuse to 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 to, uh, to worship the Lord in your heart right to these to these different uh, things that, they they're that making loopholes for man I'm thankful we don't have to uh again <laughs> remember and memorize all these different things Verse chapter 31 now says, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward you shall be gathered to your people. And so Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm some of yourself for war and let them go against the Midianites. to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. You may think, man, what's up, man? What's God's beef with the Midianites? You remember a couple chapters back, it was the Midianites and the Moabites who caused the children of Israel to commit sin and adultery, right, to uh, institute this Baal worship. The first time ever in the, in the Bible that Baal worship is mentioned in the nation of Israel was, uh, it was in chapter 26 of the, of the book of Numbers. The very first time, and it was through uh, Balaam and Balak. Right? Bala, Balaam said, hey, look, I can't curse them, but I know what you can do. You can make them bring a cursing upon themselves. Right. I can't curse them because God has blessed them. But what you can do is you can cause them to uh, to, to to worship false idols, and God's going to curse them because that's one thing that they're not gonna, that they're not supposed to do, right? And so we're told that the Midianites and the Moabites they uh, entice their women to go over there into the camp of the Israelites to take their men to again take them to the to the temple and do uh, temple worship, which is uh, prostitution, yeah. because, right? And and man, and it was just this this ugly thing. Right? We're told that seventeen thousand man died of the nation of Israel because of that, right? Because of that. And so God tells him, right, man, because they, 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 they set you up that way, he says, man, take vengeance on them. He says, destroy them. And so Moses now, he's, again, he tells the nation of Israel, right, arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel, one thousand from each tribe and so 12,000 armed for war total. Then Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal, the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord had commanded. And they killed all the males. They killed uh, all the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. This is, uh, we have some guys by name there. And also notice who was killed in that mix. Balaam, the son of Baor, they also killed with the sword. Man, the very prophet who hired himself, thank you so much, the very, pro- the very prophet who pretty much made himself available, right, he was a prophet for hire. The New Testament tells us of Balaam, man, uh, uh, Paul in, 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 in writing to, to the church, he tells the man, he says, avoid the doctrine of Balaam, mm-hmm. right? That doctrine of Balaam who, man, who prophesied for selfish gain. Right? and that was descriptive of Balaam man, that he didn't care about anything except for himself and about making a buck or a dime off of some type of prophecy mm-hmm. in fact the Bible tells us man that there is no rest for the wicked right? and as he put himself out there to, to, to entice the nation of Israel man he stayed there right? and later on man, he was killed and so we're told that Balaam also the son of Beor they killed with the sword and verse 9 says and the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forests and they took all the spoil and all the all the booty of man and beast. And notice this verse 12. It says, Then they brought the captives, the booty and the spoil to Moses, to others of the priests and to the congregation of the children of Israel to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses elders of the priests and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp but notice but Moses was angry with the officers of the army with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds who had come from the battle man they go on to the battle God tells Amari go out there and take vengeance on the to destroy everyone mm. we're told that they come back with the possessions when it says booty means like all the goods silver gold right uh, uh, fancy clothing they come back with all the possessions with all the women with all the children and with all the livestock They're coming back, and I don't know what they were expecting Moses to say. But they're coming back, and as they're coming back into into the camp, notice Moses was angry with them, with the officers, not with the people, but with the leaders. And he says, and Moses said to them, "Have you kept all the women alive?" He says, "Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore, kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman." who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourself all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for you, remain outside the camp. Says so seven days, whoever has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh. It says purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven of goat's hair, and everything made of wood. And elders of the priests said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, silver, and bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day, and be clean. And afterward, you may enter into the camp, or you may come into the camp. Somehow it's going on. Again, as they come back, right, with the possessions, with the livestock, with the women, with the children, with the children, Moses says, man, he says, have you kept these women alive? He says, man, he says, it was because of them. It was because of them, right? That, that, that they caused the children of Israel through Balaam's counsel to trespass against the Lord, man, to commit idolatry, to commit uh, uh, fornication, to pretty much prostitute themselves, you know, against the Lord. And Moses says, man, and now you've brought these same women into the camp, right, to keep? And so Moses says, man, he says, uh, pretty much kill everything, kill everyone and I'm reading this it may be like man kind of harsh right and someone may think that man well God is you know a cruel God and, and, and allowing this to happen there's other uh, extra biblical information that, that's come out that man's believe that, that that this nation the Moabites the Canaanites the Midianites because of the degree of how should I say because of the degree of their, of their sexual sin and, 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 and the way that they worship their God's Man, it's believed that, that they were even uh, infected with HIV, with different diseases, right? And, and, and they were dying because of these diseases. So it was these people, because of their, of their, of their, of their nature, their, of their worship to these false gods, that man, there was you know, men with men, women with women, uh, women with different types of men, right? They were, having, uh, they were having babies and they were having abortions, they were sacrificing their babies. But because of all the nastiness that was going on there amongst the camp, I believe that, man, that, that there were already diseases that were running rampant through these nations. Mm -hmm. And so when God says, look, you have to get rid of all of them, you have to exterminate them. Man, it was the only way of getting rid of of these plagues, lest they spread to the rest of the known world. Mm -hmm. Right? so, man, we see that God is sovereign. You know, God is sovereign, and we may look at it as something harsh. But the point is, man, nip sin in the bud. Don't let it grow. Don't let it grow. Jesus would say, man, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, man, chop it off. Right, not that he means all right, Just pluck out your eye and chop off your arm. I wish it was that easy, right? I wish I could just pluck out my eyes and not think of of you know of lust or or anything. But man, you know if I pluck out my eyes, you know I'm, my my thoughts are still gonna right. are gonna cause me to sin. Mm-hmm. If I chop off my hands, man, I'm still gonna sin with my toes or something, <laughs> right? I wish it was that easy. But no, the whole point is look nip sin in the butt, right? Get to the root of it, pluck it out, right? And what's the root of sin, man? The heart, right? It's a heart issue, right? It's not a physical issue. The physical issue is a manifestation of the inward sin in the heart of man and woman, right? And so Moses is saying, look, get to the root of the sin and get rid of it, exterminate it. In this case, it was, man, the people, right? They had to get rid of all the people because they were at the root of this plague that was, man, that was affecting everybody. So he says, "Man, get to the root of it and cut it off." So they have to exterminate every single one of these uh, of these people, right? And so we're gonna jump down to uh, chapter thirty-two, and we'll end with uh, with this. It says this: so uh, the rest from chapter from verse twenty-five to. Verse 54 is just the, the division of the of the lands before they enter into the into the promised land. God gives them the division and and and, uh, and what's going to belong to every tribe. So you guys could read that on your own time. But it goes on to say this in chapter 32 it says now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of uh, of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to all the other priests and to the leaders, saying, saying, uh, at at Troth, Ibon, Jason, uh, all these different cities, says, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is the land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. So man, here they are, just miles away from the promised land. God is preparing them as a nation, as a people to enter into the promised land, which meant they had to cross the Jordan because the, Jordan, the promised land was on the other side of the Jordan. And as they're at the very border of the promised land, we have these, uh, these tribes. It was uh, the children of Reuben, uh, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh were told later on that they were content with staying outside of the promised land on this side of the Jordan River. Notice... Because they said that the that the land was good for livestock, and say, man, we have livestock. Therefore, let us let us stay on this side. They said, do not take us over the Jordan. What they're saying is, man, don't let us enter. Don't make us enter into the promises of God. Wow. What God has been promising us since He promised it to their forefather Abraham he says, don't make us enter. Right? They were content with living at the very border of what God had for them. Man, it is descriptive of so many believers. Man, that God has promises. This rich, abundant life in Him as we just rest in Him, rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, right? That's the, the purpose-filled life, right? Just, man, resting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross mm-hmm. and on what He did for us, man, just resting in what He did for us. And yet there are so many believers who, man, never want to enter fully into what God has for them because they're holding on they're with, their, with their physical eyes. They're saying, man, well, it's so good over here, right? What they're looking at is their possessions and the physical outward. You see, man, well, look, this land is good for livestock. We have livestock, right? The physical, the material. And it's, again, descriptive of so many believers that will never let go of the physical, the material, the things of this world to enter into the rich, abundant blessings that God has for us as we just as we just rest in the finished work of Christ. That was Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. And verse 6 says, As Moses said to the children of Gad, and Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, he says, Shall your brethren go to war? Wow. Well, while you sit here, now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? And thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Escal and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel. So that they did not go into the land which the Lord had Given them, and so the Lord's anger was aroused on that day. He swore an oath, saying, "Surely none of the men who came from Egypt, from twenty years old and older, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord." Right? It goes on to say, "So the Lord." The Lord's anger was aroused against Israel and He made them wander in the wilderness. So we are having a recap. In verse 14 says, And look, you have risen in your father's place. He's saying, look man, you're doing exactly what your fathers did. And you're you're committing the same sin that kept your fathers from seeing the promised land. He says, You have risen in your father's place a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following Him, He will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance, for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on This eastern side of the Jordan. And so again, as Moses is rebuking them for not wanting to enter into the land that God had promised. What they're saying is that, look, he says, all right. He says, you're going to discourage your people because of your lack of commitment. You're going to discourage your people because of uh, of, of, of your lack of wholly following the Lord. Right, man, and we see that, man, in the, within the body of Christ, man, you, you get saved, you're in love with Jesus, and you think that everybody loves Jesus the way you love Jesus, and then all of a sudden, man, you run to another believer who, you know, who compromises in their walk, mm. right, who is exercising their liberties to uh, indulge in whatever they see fit, right, and you as a believer, you think, man, well, what's so good about that, you know, that like they won't enter into the fullness of Christ, right, and, and, and you get discouraged, or maybe you discourage someone else from from following God, from serving Jesus, because of your lack of just man of commitment to the Lord. Right? and so most of the time, look, he says, when the rest of the people see you stay on this side, they're going to be discouraged because you stayed on that side and didn't go in with them. And notice what they say. They, they said, "Well, we'll go in and we'll do a battle with them, but once we do battle, we'll come back to this side of the Jordan." And so it says. Moses said to them, verse 20, If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do this, uh, then take note you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep, and do whatever proceeds out of your mouth. And the children of Gad, Reuben, uh, said to Moses, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. And so we see that their families didn't see what the Lord did for them. They're saying, all right, we'll go with with the rest of the tribes. We'll fight, but we'll come back. But we're not taking our kids and we're not taking our wives with us, Mm -hmm. right? So notice that that as they left their wives and their kids behind on this side of the Jordan and they went to go fight, their wives and their kids never saw the majesty, the glory, the beauty of what God did for them. As As they enter into Jericho, they walk around for seven days. They see the miraculous hand of God bring the walls down. Their wives and their kids never see God's hand at work in the nation of Israel. So they miss out on what God had for them. Right, so their families missed out on what God for them be, had for them because they refused to take them in. Mm. Man, notice that, And As man, as men, right, as men, man, man we're being given the responsibility to lead our families into man, into uh, those things that God has for us as a family, right? As 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 a, man, as a married as a married couple, right? As a as, as a family, as, as you're the head of the household, Now we have the responsibility of leading our families into the things of God so that they can see for themselves not that we can convert anybody but as we lead our wives as we lead our kids man they could see God's hand in our lives as we bring him in with us right then they can make a decision for themselves if the women and children would have came in man I'm sure that they would have seen the hand of God and maybe just maybe they would have said man well, wow, man God is here right God is working here in this land why are we over there All right let's enter in but they never even had a a, a choice because they never they missed out they never sighed. so it goes on to say Moses gave a command concerning then to of the priest, to Joshua, and to the other chiefs of the tribes, and Moses said to them, If the children of Gad, the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan, uh with you, and, and again he's repeating, if they if they keep their word, then all right, then they're good. If they don't, then you know, then uh they've sinned before the Lord. And verse thirty two says, We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So man, look at never fully surrendering to the Lord. Right, holding on to the things that, what, their possessions that enticed them to the things that they love. They said, alright, we'll go, but we're, we're going to come back to our possessions, to our land. right?" And man, again, it's descriptive sometimes of a lot of believers that you may encounter. Right, that only want to go halfway with the Lord and then come back. Or halfway, but never fully surrender. Or they'll go in, right, with the rest of the congregation. All right, man, let's go, man. Let's go serve Jesus. Let's go worship. Let's go to that conference. Let's go to that to to, the, to the worship event. Let's go to the prayer night. Let's go to the Bible study. But yet, man, in their hearts, they always go back, man. They go back home. And they don't go back home. I mean, in their heart, they go back to, man, their sin. Or back mm-hmm. to those things that are just, that, mm-hmm. that they hold so dear, that are keeping them from just fully surrendering to the Lord. And I pray that it wouldn't, man, that that wouldn't be said of us. You know, I pray that And when our time comes that we hear from the Lord man well done my good and faithful servant enter into the rest of the Lord right and man here's the thing that I don't want to wait till we get to heaven to see all that God could and has for us here on earth right I want to see it now man I want to experience it now I don't want to wait to heaven to find out man God is so glorious I want to testify of God's glory while we're here on earth right I want to see these things man and that takes a trusting the Lord with all our heart man of a full commitment to God all right, Lord, let it all. Let it let it go. Mm-hmm. Right, sometimes we go to the altar, we leave our things at the altar, we walk away, and then we come back and we say, Oh, you know what? Let me just take this one. You mm-hmm. put it in your pocket, right? <laughs> and you're always, you're out, you never, you're always holding on to something if it's if it's a little thing, right? There's still that 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 uh, that half-heartedness. And so I pray for us as we end right here. I want to just pray, Father. I pray for, Lord, us as believers, us who are here, Lord, and I pray Lord, that you would, Lord, woo us unto yourself through your love. Lord, I pray that you would come.